brainstorming around these smart spaces where you literally walk into a space, everybody has cognitively checked in through brainwaves and you can try to essentially manufacture a state of flow. Hi, this is Dan Rao, founder and brand strategist at DSR Branding, and you're listening to DSR Branding Presents. Join me as I interview brilliant business leaders on branding, marketing, design, and good business principles. These are people who think differently and have commercialized their creativity to do something remarkable. This episode is on building a venture studio and the future of work with Ben Johnson. Ben spent more than 15 years developing businesses, consulting on digital strategy, and identifying market gaps and future trends. He's founded and co-founded some hugely successful companies, including digital ventures studio Joseph Mark, motion design company Breeder, indigenous creative agency Galimba, and trending music platform We Are Hunted, which was acquired by Twitter in 2012. In this massive episode, we discuss what the future of work could look like, working with performance coaches and designing smart spaces. We dive into the venture studio model and how Joseph Mark are redesigning the traditional agency model and corporate structures. Ben shares some valuable insights on how they decide on which startups to partner with and their framework for validating concepts and determining product market fit, plus some great advice for founders looking to build a successful digital product. He also shares some great stories of ventures they've partnered in, including music discovery app Undertone and in-browser video editing app ClipChamp. Ben's ability to build and scale successful ventures is inspiring. I really enjoy chatting with him. Just a warning, this episode features some colourful language. Ben, thanks very much for coming on the show, man. Thank you. It's good to be here. (laughs) Mate, we always kick things off the same way with a simple icebreaker. What's your favourite brand and why? I don't know if this is too cliche, but I am the biggest fan of Patagonia. Oh, awesome. Um, It's just like, I guess, what Patagonia represents as a company that the CEO wrote an amazing book called Let My People Go Surfing, which is, it would have to be like 15 years old now. And I'd highly encourage anybody out there that are into culture and, and corporate culture. Like it's just, I think it's the Bible when it comes to that. It's just a cool company. Yeah, cool. Have you, in terms of the corporate culture stuff, is it stuff that you guys have taken and sort of implemented into your businesses? Yeah, it very much so. Like it's the, so the backstory yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, is, yeah, like I, I was studying a comm design degree at QUT and, but I was spending more time at the bar and chasing girls than actually doing the degree itself. And so, yeah, we, um, I guess, dropped out and I was doing freelance design and, and had been yeah, inspired by a group called the Chaos Pilots, which was a, uh, it's alternative business school out of Copenhagen. And I guess it got me thinking, I never saw myself as a business person, but it got me inspired that business could be so much more than what I thought it was. And around the same time, I guess I started looking into business and this whole new world and yeah, came across Let My People Go Surfing. And so from really early on, it was definitely a, um, 
like before we even had a team. I just I love the ethos, and I guess when I was I was also under the the false <laughs> idea that uh, starting your own business that you'd have time to go surfing yourself, which <laughs> uh, couldn't, be, couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> so Ben, you founded Joseph Mark back in two thousand and four. Um, can you tell me a bit about the journey of starting that? Yeah, well, um, yeah, like I was just saying, like it was, I was sort of, one of those sort of stories that, yeah, a bit of a university dropout. I, uh, yeah, co-founded it with um, a like really good friend at the time who uh, was a copywriter. Yeah, this, the story goes that we were living together um, in Paddington and also dating sisters at the time who were also living with us. So we already had a fairly incestuous um, living arrangement and then we decided to start a business together, which was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> full on. Um, but, it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Lots of, lots of learning in the early days, like didn't have any sort of formal, I guess, business background um, but and, and actually not really any, any experience like in the design industry as well. And that that became, I guess, that also helped us form who we were because uh, it was a sort of blessing in a way where we didn't have any preconceived ideas of how things should be done. And so I sort of talk about it as a, like a um, like an optimistic naivety in a way where, yeah, you, you sort of just unbound in your thinking and believe that you can achieve like anything, you don't know where the walls are, where the bumpers are. So, um, yeah, you learn through your mistakes and we've made made plenty of them. But once you learn, okay, yeah, you need to pay tax and <laughs> you, uh, yeah, you, you obviously uh, deliver or over-deliver work, then it's just a whole bunch of fun. So, yeah, they're the early days. And tell me a bit about Joseph Mark today. Yeah, so that was... Um, yeah, so it was 16 years ago or coming up to 16, it'll be 16 in uh, August. So um, I guess a lot of, well, a lot of things have changed, but a lot of things haven't changed. Like we have always had that, I guess, that um, yeah, unbound optimism, I guess, and never seen ourselves as, as a design agency competing with the, the agency down the road. Um, like we sort of always had a, like a, a global outlook and that's been, yeah, that's worked in our favour um, in the sense that we, yeah, we, we're, we're now an international business. Um, we have clients on um, most continents and have, I guess, really interesting uh, projects that we get to work on. Um, the, the, the business is, has got a number of facets to it, uh, which I'm sure we can, we can go into, but essentially we have a, a studio, which the, the main, I guess, company is Joseph Mark, which is a venture, uh, design studio. Uh, we also have sister studios in Breeder, which is a motion graphics, uh, studio. And we are just launching a, a performance marketing and growth um, company as well called Bloom. And then on the other side, we've got our ventures business, which um, is, is, is what we refer to as a, a venture studio. And so that's where we, 
yeah, we incubate and uh, partner and invest into companies that we or ideas that we like, and we've got a portfolio of companies um, that 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 we have now and a number in the works. It's quite a portfolio. How do you split your time across the different businesses? Yeah, good question. I um, I work mostly on the venture side of the business these days. Uh, like in, yeah, which is like sort of looking at new opportunities and helping, uh, helping support our existing like portfolio. Um, but I also have a heavy involvement in the, in the group, um, like at an executive level, um, as a whole. And they're all, it's all, even though they're independent businesses and, um, and slightly different business models, they're all intertwined. So I guess I, I, I sort of, uh, attempt to to oversee and steer the ship, <laughs> and sort of over the last twelve months. I mean, it's a pretty been a pretty rocky start to twenty twenty. But what's been maybe one of the biggest highlights or the greatest challenges that you guys have faced? <laughs> Look, the first first half of twenty twenty is uh, yeah, it's been interesting. Um, Look, I think that. That we we are extremely fortunate uh, to on a, on a number of fronts. Um, one um, that we are obviously in the industry that we're in, and that means that when you know, when things like COVID hits and virtual everything goes virtual, then yeah, we've we've that, that that's our world. So we um, yeah we've we've been quite busy. Uh, yeah, over the last few months and like really, I guess it's just, we've just seen this sort of acceleration of, of, of either traditional businesses um, uh, just knowing that they need to now think about the future because it's just accelerated. They thought they had the next decade to work it out and now it's, now it's on their doorstep. So um, yeah, helping them uh, transition or, um, yeah, a lot of opportunistic moves happening across the board as well. So people wanting to in, invest and in, in, into speculative ventures and, and I guess new things for a new world, um, which has been yeah, which has been really exciting. And uh, at the same time, I, 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 as a company, like we we have um, yeah, we've got sort of our, our two main studios are, are between LA and, and Brisbane. Um, but we've got people that we work with all across the world. So we're inherently a virtual company. So I think yeah, we, we made a decision sometime in March to, to all work from home and everybody picked up their laptop and grabbed their, their monitor and went home and that was it. <laughs> like there was no sort of friction to, to go remote and, um, and so, yeah, we've, we've, I guess, been lucky in that we have been able to yeah, continue business as, as usual and that's only actually accelerated. At the same time, yeah, like you can't, you can't avoid what is, is obviously, uh, yeah, in front of us and the world is in such an interesting place. And so the, it's not like a challenge in, in the sense of, I guess it's a challenge for everybody. Like everybody has been almost given the opportunity to reset and to work out what's important to them um, and to, I guess, hopefully that helps um, 
transition people to a, a place of more purpose or um, yeah, or at least reflection on what they want to do and what they want to do in their life. And so I think COVID combined with Black Lives Matter um, is really obviously interesting on, on a number of different levels. But for us as a group, um, we, yeah, we've, we've, I guess, always had a, a um, I guess we've been a, quite a, a strong values. I'd like to think that we've, as a company, our values have been uh, a big part of our identity. Um, like I often, or we often sort of, yeah, we're very socialist. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're, a, we're a for-profit company, but our ideals are very socialist. Like we, we sort of, and we've invested heavily in a lot of different ventures, but also um, in, I guess, yeah, actioning those values and bringing them to the fore. And whether it's, so we co-founded um, uh, Indigenous design studio Galimba, um, which like over a decade ago, and and that was, I guess that was in response to, yeah, like just a, conversations that I was having with a, uh, an Indigenous uh, friend of mine around issues that were surrounding um, Aboriginal uh, Indigenous Australia and his community, and 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 they were like, <clears throat> I guess what I was hearing were things that I believe that some of the, I guess the work that we did in JM could could help like there's major issues but there are also simple issues that could be solved with with empathy and and good good design <laughs> um so from that yes yeah, stemmed stemmed uh glimba and that is yeah to this day so i guess one of well like the business that i'm probably most proud of it's it's just an incredible company it's got incredible people in it and they do just amazing amazing purposeful work and have yeah have, have made a, a, a tangible difference um in a reconciliation like within australia sorry i'm going all over the place no, but no like to them, um, yeah, i'm, to, glad, to I'm glad we talked about galimba because it's something I, I picked up in your bio and i did want to ask about the you know co-founding that because you know, when looking at their site and looking at their work, I mean, the the art and the indigenous art and the different projects they've worked on. Uh, you know, it's it's really um it's really impressive, but it's also great that you know they do have that connection to probably different indigenous communities. Yeah, yeah, they it's it's interesting. Like they have they do inc- yeah incredible work in terms of their their output, but a lot of what they do now is also the facilitation like exercises of where you've got a yeah a corporate or a or a, an organization that is embracing reconciliation they might have what's called a reconciliation action plan which is a essentially a, a commitment uh, the company is is looking to uphold but these it's a very i guess complex <laughs> thing so galimba does a lot of work helping helping companies that are, who who genuinely want to make impacts then facilitate ways that they they can do that which is yeah which which results in intangible um outcomes as i said and and working also with communities so it's um yeah like is a complex like 
tapestry <laughs> and field to work in, and it can be very political. But it's um, yeah, they 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 manage to walk that fine line and and do a yeah do a pretty incredible job in doing that. And I guess the point I was. Uh, wanting to make is that, that then I guess fast forward to the time that we're in now where you're, yeah, you're seeing this incredible movement emerge and, and, and highlighting, yeah, the, the systemic racism and, and the injustices that we've, that has been accepted around the world. It's, I guess, it is a beautiful time. And I, so to answer your previous question around the challenge, like I actually see the challenge of at a macro level of us going, looking at ourselves going, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with this almost, dare I say, gift that is COVID, that is the world stopping and us as a society reflecting and going, what do we want to do? What do we um, care about and, and what does our future look like? That's a very optimistic view, um, but that is the, I guess that's the challenge that we're setting ourselves and as a company and we're having very, I guess, deep yeah, reflection as individuals and around our own purpose and what are the, what are the ventures and the, the projects that we want to be associated with and putting our time into over the next decade. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty interesting time. Yeah, definitely. And how do you do that with your teams? I mean, I'm sure, is it something that you guys actually have come together and, and spoken about quite openly with the full group, um, you know, across JM and the different different ventures that you have? Look, it, it, there's a number of, I guess, different facets to it, but like as a, as a group, we have a set of values which have, have been formed by the team, um, by the individuals in the team. We, we have a, I guess, a external company uh, high performance coach that we use and uh, like that that helps us with accountability but also I guess yeah being that that sort of facilitation voice on a lot of these things um, so yeah we, we 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 look at ourselves as a, a high performance team and uh, we've been yeah I guess fortunate enough to work with the teams like whether they're sports teams or in particular um, a lot of our I guess um, methodologies or um, what do I call it like the sort of organizational rhythm has come from influence out of a team within Red Bull which is the Red Bull high performance team which is based out of LA which we've had a, a long long relationship with with that group and that team is, sits within Red Bull to help Red Bull athletes which are I guess some of the you know I guess best in the world get one percent more out of the best in the world whichever field they're in and so yeah we've had the fortunate experience to work with them on a number of different programs and and, and really get to learn what they do and then I guess through that process we yeah we started looking at us as a team and reflecting like if you think about a, an athlete yeah they've got they've got not just their their coach that helps them whatever run faster jump higher what like you know your, your standard coach but they've got their their nutritionist they've got their their sort of mental health the technology like they've got all of these well at a certain level all of these people around them helping them 
come on and off the field or do whatever they're doing and do that to the, the, the best degree. And we sort of looked at that and reflected on that in terms of our own world where we think, you know, we're um, pretty good at what we do or we, at least we believe we are. And, but we don't, like in the business world, you don't typically have that type of support network around you. Like you're sort of expected to, you know, turn up, like run your, run your marathon or run your sprint and um, in your work day and then no one's, you know, looking after or, or, or keeping tabs on what you're eating for dinner or how much sleep you're getting that night or like where your, you know, cognitive mental um, states are. And so, yeah, we a few years ago just started borrowing um, certain techniques um, that for the most part actually just like putting more focus on going, okay, well, if we genuinely want to perform at the level and benchmark that we believe that we can perform at, then we need to rethink how we look after our team and what type of support we put around that, which, yeah, one of those actions and outcomes ended up us being us engage a coach-like figure for us where we, we uh, see ourselves as the team and then the coach and, and we have that type of relationship. And from that, we've gone through this exercise of going, okay, well, what do we care about as a team at an individual level and then how does that yeah, level itself up to, to a company-wide level and, and then how does that materialise it, itself in our everyday relationships with each other? But I guess for us and, and, and the type of business that we're in, yeah, we are fortunate that we on the agency side can be for the most part fairly selective with the projects that we take on and definitely on the ventures side we are making investment decisions so it's not like a typical you know studio where you're pitching for work and you just you're just thankful that you won the job where we're looking at these different opportunities and going okay is that right for us and and do we believe in this and so how those I guess those actions and values materialize themselves at a, at a company level for us is very much in the decisions around what projects that we embark on and how they align you know, with that value set. Yeah, that's cool. It sounds like a, yeah, it's, it's really interesting approach to have, you know, to look at, look at the team like a sports team and actually have a coach, like a performance coach, and then, you know, looking at the individual, but also how their contribution sort of affects the team's performance what are some practical things or what are some things that you guys have done as, you know, have you gone as far as not instructing how much sleep you want each person to get, but, you know, advice or training or things like like or mental health things? Like what, what are some things that, you know, some examples of things that you may have done with the actual team members? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to um, just, can we just have a pause for a minute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just going, I just need to get a power cable for my, oh, my laptop. So. No, no worries. Right. <laughs> Heartbreak, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about it. No, that's good. I, it's really cool. I want to. Um, it's funny. Um, I went to a Todd Sampson thing a few months ago. Uh, he was speaking at uh, the art gallery, and he was saying, you know, if you if you guys are leaders uh, or or bosses, basically, you shouldn't care about what hours your team work. You should care about how many hours they slept. And he's like, <laughs> and I thought that was really cool. Like, you know, the boss, the old school thing of like being being early, leave late, that sort of thing. I want to know that you work twelve hours a day. He's like, that's, that's just ridiculous. But what isn't ridiculous is if someone comes to work three days in a row and they've had, they're running off sort of four or five hours sleep. And I was like, that would be, that would be amazing to be able to, um, 
I mean, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Google or something are tracking, <laughs> able to track their staff's hours sleep and, and uh, give performance bonuses based on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've conceptualized some pretty weird and wacky future ways of working. Like we're pretty big on, um, so, so to your sort of question before we just took that, that break. Um, yeah. So to go out in on the extreme of the, and we're not, we're not practicing this, but where, where we sort of, um, I guess some of the research, um, that we've gone quite deep on is literally, whether we you get to work or you you you're at work and you sort of check in and you put an ECG sort of you know on your head and we look at your brain waves and see where you're at in terms of your concentration or yeah and whether that's determined on on your sleep or, or just just if you're thinking sitting there and, and thinking about you know the relationship issues that you got at home or, or whatever to and combining that with then uh, I guess the what we'll continue to see and you're already seeing it in different ways of working but this continual development around the workflows and how we're working with augmented decision making from AIs and I think the combination and the nexus of those two things where if we can understand the self and the human and we're developing new workflows where you're leaning on the machine to do certain parts of the cognitive heavy lifting to then allow the, the human in the relationship to, uh, yeah, to optimise, I guess, their role that they're playing. And then if you think about it in a team setting and, like, there is no reason why, like, the work spaces of the future could and should be designed around, and we've had this sort of concept that we've been, you know, yeah, brainstorming around these smart spaces where you literally walk into a space, everybody has had, like you've, you've, you've cognitively checked in through actually brainwaves. You understand if that team, if there's multiple people are in like in a state and so you can try to essentially manufacture a state of flow and then you walk into this room and that room is hyper connected it is whether it's listening to your conversation and then documenting which is all technology that obviously exists or if it's like dynamic whiteboards that are taking image recognition of that wireframe that you've just done on the on the whiteboard and then sketching that up to then you know fill in the blanks like i think that there's and that's just the tip of the iceberg of where it can go. But I think that that's the exciting stuff that, again, is only going to be accelerated. Like I know as a group we have a massive studio in the Valley and come March we were fortunate enough that we were actually on a month-by-month lease. Like we'd sort of, we were negotiating our, our option and we were able to let that space up, which obviously has been a benefit, but we're now sitting here as a team and we're like, well, do we need to go back into this space and this, this prior sort of construct that we all turn up to work and, and work there? Like, hell no. So we're like, we're now thinking about the new spaces where we're like, yes, we definitely as a team like to, to get together to have that face-to-face time, but could we look at these new studios and that are more centered around like these, this sort of smart space concept where you go, to a space for a very deliberate purpose, just like 
you know, take the analogy back to the, the high performance like sports teams, like you train all week if you're in the NBA to go and have the game on Friday night and you were fucking on for that 90 minutes. And so like leaning in on that, like look to your point before around, you know, it's not how long you work, it's, it's like how much sleep you got. Well, take that to the next level and it's, it comes back to, well, it's not how long you work, it's like what actual <laughs> output and how deep and how good was your thinking when you're in the moment. And if that is only 90 minutes a week and the rest of the week is just training for that 90 minutes, probably the outcome is going to be better than you flogging your ass 12 hours a day for five days a week. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Completely agree. I, I, lo- I love the idea of the smart space, mate. You have to, um, you have to come up with it, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of commercial real estate space beckoning for any opportunity to have something new and fresh. Yeah, I think I think that's one interesting point, and it's something that is really going to be affected by COVID is um, the size of people's offices of commercial space. I really think you know the the big corporates having you know, f- multiple floors in, in these city buildings is probably going to change because I, I just, you know, while I don't know if ev- everyone can just work from home and be as effective, I do think the flexibility that we've been able to see and prove is okay will be here to stay for a bit longer and will shape it. I mean, I think companies, each company will be different about what works for them. But yeah, it's interesting how you say that about like um, when you do get the team together, being very intentional about what the time is spent on. Yeah, are there people doing this already, do you think? Like, um, is this something that, like, the, the, you mentioned Red Bulls, high-performance team. I mean, they're I mean, individual athletes, but I guess they're coaches. Would, you know, do you think yeah, they're probably? Yeah, I know, um, I guess Envision has always been touted, touted as a company that, like, is fully remote. Uh, so, yeah, I think, well, <laughs> look, it's, a, it's, it's one big working experiment at the moment, but <laughs> yeah. for, for now... Yeah, what we're, we're we're looking at doing is like taking that, you know, taking all that money that you you put into a lease, and we'll we will get a smaller space and reduce that cost, and then go well, let's do a team retreat every month, and and let's go, you know, like next week we got the the team, we're all going glamping, and we'll get a you know private chef and have a fucking good time. Like the, the, the <laughs> amount of money you can save save on a massive lease, it's yeah, definitely. There's quite a few. Bottles of red wine. <laughs> you're, drink, that. so you're drinking expensive wine. Sort of, um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that. It's just been, and I, I have been reflecting a lot, like that. It took well a global pandemic, which is not a small thing, but to actually shake. Like I would have considered us as a fairly, well, we're a very new age, like dynamic thinking company, but it still took that shift for us to. Re- break our traditional thinking and mold and just go, hey, just wait a minute. The wall, the wheels didn't fall off the bus. Actually, everybody seems pretty cool and we're still keeping up like in terms of our productivity. This, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> Why were we turning up? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the other thing, I guess, stemming off this, and, and this, is, this has been a, another, if you want to go in under the, the covers of, of JM and the stuff that you don't read on the website, it's yeah coming back to that socialist piece. And and I have spoken about this a little bit before, but yeah, we we are, I guess, as an organisation, undergoing a, a massive experiment on ourselves, which is this 
this idea of what is the future company and the because we work all corporate structures whether it's like the, literally the governing structure like a PTYLTD um, <laughs> structure and you have directors and then you work five days a week and you have you know team and hierarchy and how the vast majority of companies are made up and that system that we just believe that is how that you do, doesn't really get questioned we've been really questioning that um actually sorry dan can you just give me one one pause sorry dan that's the beauty of um working on the farm (laughs) you know here i am touting all of the future (laughs) the future of work and and then uh, we yeah so so i don't know if we're recording when we had that chat but yeah I'm, i'm working from a a farm up in the sunny coast which is now home and yeah. um it's a like a commercial farm which is great <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it does mean you have very interesting requests like hey i don't know if you just heard that one but no i missed uh, it at lunchtime def- just before we got on this call we were getting a, a big load of, of mulch was coming into the farm i went and drove we've got like the farm Polaris which is just like a little buggy and to show them where the mulch is and uh, it looks like one of the uh, the farm farm hands mobile phone has been lost in the process of doing that so oh, no. yeah, all fun and games <laughs> um, you so probably cut that part yeah, yeah that's right we can, we can trim that bit mate so you're talking about like I guess rethinking the company structure or typical company structures and in terms of that, does that mean like multiple ownership over over certain things, or how does that how does that sort of eventuate or or change? Or yeah, come to so, yeah, so exactly. So um, I guess the other part to to bring it down to more than a design studio and a creative studio uh, level. So you've got your your, your typical, uh, very um, yeah hierarchical based like company structures, which are world over, you know, that, that's the, that, that's the norm. Um, and then you think about a creative practice and I know there's you know, a number of people that speak to this and, and we, we sit there as creatives and for the most part work within a time-based billing system. Mm. Um, and which is you know, like created by accountants yeah. and, and it's just totally broken for, a number of different reasons, but it also, yeah, it's always, I guess, been an, a topic that we're very interested in that you you do all of this creativity, this creative thinking for your clients or within your day job, yet you work in such an old school traditional business model yourself. Yeah. Um, that is the furthest that you can get from creative. And obviously there's, you know, value-based work and, and, and the whole whole slew of those things. But we, um, I guess, have been fascinated at the corporate, at, like, structure um, level and the company structure level and what happens when you, you, I guess, look at alternative ways of doing that. So what we are, yeah, and are now employing is much more of a cooperative model, yep. um, which, uh, yeah, as the name suggests, means that everybody within the, within the group uh, has ownership in what 
whatever we are doing. And we're lucky, again, our business is creating new companies and, and investing into companies. So we, um, yeah, everybody uh, gets to um, get, get, gets to have ownership in the various things that we're doing. And the idea of that, and we, I'll be the first one to say that we're still, this is still very much a work in progress, but is also going back to that point of going, well, what are the motivations for me as an individual within a team to turn up at work and do my best? Yeah. Now, in a traditional sense, it's, yep, I've got KPIs, I've got a manager, like whatever, you know, whatever the sort of the, the, the motivation and however that's driven, usually in a hierarchical instance, you yeah, it's all, it's under management. Whereas if you flip that on its head and you go, okay, well, everybody's here and we are creating value and the more value that we create, um, whether that be impact value that is aligned with our purpose. So what the, so the decision-making as a group, what things are we investing into or fiscal value like equity, which either um, materializes itself and in like a, a dividend or like a, a company's balance sheet value, then it changes the motivation and puts a lot more, well, literal ownership yeah. <laughs> to each individual, which then have, permeates through the whole nervous system that is, that is the company. And it make, means that, um, yeah, you as, I guess, quote-unquote leadership in the company, you have a trust in, and it is a trust thing in the team, to make decisions, hopefully, that is actually like in line with the company values and, and, and the best for the group as a whole rather than individual decisions. It allows you to have a lot more autonomy as a group and at the end of the day, it's, and this is going to get all philosophical, but like how society and how the corporate structures have been, you know, set up <laughs> and the lines of credit and the whole system that we're in is actually a, a system of suppression. Like it is as an employee of, of a company, this is a massive generalisation, then it, then it is a modern form of, of slavery, even though you're getting paid for it and so on and so forth. So this sort of um, ability and the, to try and change that where you can, where everybody can win and everybody has a chance of, I guess, of taking, making leapfrog moves in their career um, through the opportunities that are presented to them or the ownership and the equity and the assets that they're um, participating in, I guess for us as a, as a group, creates, embodies that unbound nature that we, we, we spoke about right at the start. Like, and it allows, well, the ultimate goal is trying to, um, to come back to that high performance. Like it creates by nature a, a team that can work at an individual level and make decisions that are in line with the group in a very flat structure with a lot of trust. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It must, it must 
provide a very high level of, you said autonomy, but also accountability. I mean, people are going to, you would hope, and I'm sure it's the case, like if you're invested in something, if you're a part owner or a partner in something, you're always going to be inclined to act within the best interests of, you know, of the group and what you're working on. Precisely, precisely. I've got, yeah. a, I got a friend who I interviewed in an earlier one, Simon, who's an investment manager, and one of his rules was pick, you know, when choosing an investment manager or advisor, see what they invest in. And if they're not willing to invest in their, the things that they recommend to you, then they're not doing the right thing. It's like, are they willing to eat their own cooking? And I think it's the same sort of concept in the sense of like your team and your staff are co-investors with the client. So if you're recommending things, like they're sure as hell going to be in the best interest of the client or that, you know, at the time, that's what you'd, you'd assume is in the best interest of the client. So it's like pure alignment. It's not like, you're just trying to sell something in or, or, or prove or, you know, convince something in. It's, um, it really is sort of the best intentions. Precisely, precisely. And it, it does work, again, like it, we're, we're fortunate in the business model that we're in, in the sense that we are building new businesses yeah. um, or, or ventures. And so you, by the very nature of that, you, first off, you've got the ability to have, value being created that can be captured um, in the cap tables and, and the respective ownership of these these companies. But to then the venture studio model or the venturing model as a whole, like we do do venturing with clients as a service um, on the agency side and, and, and the studio side. And that's the and that utilizes the same methodology uh, that we as he said, that like we eat, eat our own cooking, like that we use on the on the venture like side, investment side. So we are continually, I guess, honing our skills and bringing that across. Um, and but the difference is, and we have this, yeah, this obviously open conversation with the majority of our our clients is that it is if we are building a venture with a client and we're doing it for a, under a fee for service arrangement then foundationally that's not aligned like yeah. our outcome is different to their outcome yeah. and that so yeah when when there is skin in the game where there is a partnership there then it change first off it changes the relationship it means that we can come to the table and uh, rather than being in a subservient relationship as a service you are yeah you're you not only have a voice but you are instructing under your own best interest yeah. for that investment. And that means that the partner knows that and, and so has that trust <laughs> yeah. that you're, you're sharing guidance under, that, under those guys of the end outcome, which is that aligned outcome of uh, well, what, whatever, whatever venture you're embarking on. So it's, um, it's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I want to make sure that like we all stress again that we are very much, this is a work in progress. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a continual evolution. We, yeah, and it does, it goes from that sort of theoretical level and permeates down to the very, like the actual company structures themselves. Like the, the business model of the venture studio is different. Like there are examples of venture studio business models around the world. There is a very small handful of them uh, popping up in Australia. But whether it is yeah, speaking to a client, speaking to an investor, there's a lot of education that goes on. But we find that for 
when we're recruiting team or when we're we're recruiting partners or looking at investments, then it suits a certain type of person as well. So it sort of allows us in our in our I guess recruitment process to find people that are aligned with that that are looking for not only the challenge but that that back themselves to work under an autonomous <laughs> engagement, if you like contract and that generally have an entrepreneurial spirit as well so i mean it adds such a it must add such another layer to it when you are recruiting for people to work with you i mean you've got the would i want to work with this person and then it's like you know would i want to spend time with them would i trust to go into business with them like it's um it's a whole nother filter i mean i bet the process to bring on new team while you do need it you know if you are growing i bet it's a very considered and uh well, I imagine it would be a very considered and sort of a slow approach. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I made it that is. assumption. It is, is it? No, no, <laughs> is it a slow it, approach? It, no, it is. And this is, I guess, part of the what we are looking at now and I'll keep on saying fine-tuning is that how our a lot of time has been spent on how uh, the, the actual framework and the distribution framework across the group works. But one of the parts, for example, is that um, everybody in the group, regardless of whether you're in a particular venture or, or, or like in a, a certain studio, you get a equal um, ownership, like fractional ownership with everybody else in everything that we invest into as a group. So... What that means, uh, so yeah, take out any hierarchies. Like there's just there's what there's, there's so that there's a number of different, um, I guess in the framework there's a number of different pools of equity. But the, the the sort of foundational pool is everybody's on the same level, and that means that yeah, you have the whole team also engaged yes. <laughs> and and interested in. The hiring process, yes. because every new person <laughs> is a, a teammate, and so it, why it's a good thing and a bad thing. To your point, is it does it doesn't necessarily slow up the recruitment process, but you've got everybody's a lot more aware, <laughs> yeah, and interested, yeah, of um, course. But, but at the end of the day, it's it's it, it comes back to it does mean that if use the basketball analogy, you you want to have trust between the peers. And you want to know that if I'm going to throw the ball at you across the court, that there's a beyond a high likelihood that you're going to be able to catch that. And that's yes. um, unless you've got that that sort of contract, like a peer-to-peer contract within the organization, then you don't really care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you yeah, have completely. no reason to care. Completely. Yeah. So, so how do you decide which startups or ventures to invest in? Oh, um, yes. So I guess first off, we have a number of different avenues in which opportunities come into the group, like from around the world in different areas. And so each one is slightly different, but without going into the nuances of all of those, broadly uh, we have a... um, yeah, there's there's someone that's that's I guess championing the opportunity. We do get pitched new ideas 
on a daily basis or new companies. Um, so we get to see a lot of like a fairly a, a vast spread of, of opportunities. And we then, yeah, we, there's someone that does the front-end filtering of that opportunity. If it does look like it is, is this worthy, it goes to the, uh, like a, the initial first pass of the internal investment committee. So it gets put up to that committee. Um, we have, we've actually built a platform uh, internally that helps us sift through those opportunities. So that's reviewed by the internal committee. There are, um, yeah, the, the obvious ones in terms of is this values aligned? Um, what type of impact through to then what is the, what is the risk profile? Um, so we'll broadly look at opportunities in a few different buckets. So there are opportunities that are, have, have got, um, say low execution risk on a technology level and a low execution risk on a, on a business as a business model. So you can sort of make a fairly sure bet around those, but those also, those companies opportunities are typically smaller in size, but they're more likely to produce revenue in the short term through the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum, which are, I guess, uh, more like usually like a technology innovation, the technology either exists or, you know, it's just over the horizon. So there is a, a high degree of execution risk. Um, and most of the time there's an unknown business model. <laughs> so you're making a totally different type of um, investment and a totally different type of risk profile. But at the end of the day, if you get it right, then you are typically sitting on top of a piece of IP and therefore an asset that has got, yeah, the opportunity for an acquisition or, yeah, it's a different type of investment profile. So, yeah, we have like, and then there's everything in between. But part of that filtration process that we need to understand, well, what is the opportunity outside of, you know, the, the headline solution, problem solution pitch <laughs> where does it sit in terms of the bucket on that spectrum and then we'll typically try to have a fairly like a diversification so we'll at any one time be you know, working on a, a, a one or two moonshot ideas that are massive swing for the fences and then at the same time taking some more safe bets that are that are going to create a more yeah a, a sort of a return quicker. So, yeah, and that starts to build an investment thesis. Um, so it's almost like we, a balanced investment portfolio. Yep, it's very much a balanced investment <laughs> portfolio. It's just a little bit different than a typical <laughs> balanced investment yeah. portfolio. We're talking, yeah, public stocks. <laughs> they're, all, they're, all, they're all pretty high risk. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. le- different levels of yeah. high risk. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. But the, so I guess talk to that and then to talk to the venture studio methodology a little bit um I, I guess yeah venture studios they're also called startup studios like the crux of the idea is that you have a team that you have a a, a process and you yeah, you run opportunities against that process or that methodology with the same team so it means that 
or the promise of a venture studio is that you, you've got a high degree of efficiency and effectiveness, especially to those early stage opportunities, because you've got a, a team that is day in, day out working on, on that stage and on that, that phase of business. So everybody's very tuned into what you're focusing on in terms of the priorities around, which is usually around a product market fit and but you've got everything else is sort of sorted. So if you think about a typical siloed startup, you know, making its way through the world, that founding team is usually, yeah, they're, they're fucking trying to find space. They're trying to get employment contracts. They're trying to, you know, they're doing all of these other things yeah. that uh, at the end of the day is going to make very, uh, very little difference to whether they're successful or not. Whereas in this studio model, then like 95% of the focus is on the key objective of whatever stage that is yeah. where the venture is in. And so, yeah, you get to uh, essentially get an outcome very a lot quicker than, than you typically would. Um, and the second advantage is that you don't often, like if we're working on something, we won't, something often won't fail. Now, we, we definitely have our own, we have a, <laughs> enough, uh, we've got failures. That's not to say that you don't, don't fail, but you retire things <laughs> and there's, and, and, but you, you keep that learning and you keep like often like technology and a whole, a whole bunch of stuff. And but more importantly, the team stays together. So again, if you think of a typical startup, if it, runs out of money or, or doesn't get product market fit and, 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 and dies, then quite often then you've got like your, your team disperses and, and all of that experience goes with it. Whereas we try to recycle all of that and then and um, put it into the next, get that experience and put it into the next thing that we're working on. That's cool. So Ben, what are some highlights or of ventures that really succeeded? Yeah, so I guess there's some well well known ones um like the we are hunted story which is um yeah which was acquired by twitter um that's that was that was a a, a crazy ride um with really good folk and a lot of a lot of learnings as well um through to i guess some slightly less known ones but favorites of mine one of them is undertone so it's still it, it, you, can, you can go to undertone uh today it is a music product if you go to it today it will be probably the most buggy platform that you've ever come across on the internet but that's also why it's beautiful because undertone is a is a community of music tastemakers and it's one of those things that we we launched oh shit i'm gonna say eight years ago it's going to be something like that seven or eight years ago we put it out there it got product market fit within this this niche community of music tastemakers and we we couldn't find a commercial model an obvious commercial model for it so it's sort of um yeah it's it's sat there we served it we we serviced it to a degree but it became it's slowly become a bit of a neglective child hence why it's got got its bugs (laughs) today but the community stuck around and we had like 
and it's a pretty, I guess, if you were to do the really, really cliche elevator pitch, it's think about it as Instagram for music. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so that premise, there has been like five or six well-funded startups in that eight years come along, get like raise, raise pretty significant seed rounds, build these massive teams, go out, do all this hoo-ha and have literally all failed because they've they've taken on that capital. They haven't been able to commercialize <laughs> and they've, they've then had to fold. Whereas because we don't have that pressure, then it's just it's stuck around. Now we are eight years on, we are now actually um, we're reinvesting into it when we do have a very interesting uh, partner in it that I can't disclose at the moment to help us do that. And but the community has stuck around that whole entire time. So it's just one of those stories that is not the, it's not your typical story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a beautiful one when you do, like I'm a product person at heart. Like when you've got a product that you're basically break every rule in the book and <laughs> people still stick around, then it's yeah. a pretty good testament. <laughs> and how did you go about building the community for it? Or like, was it just, people were just super passionate with the idea and they stuck around? Well, it's an interesting community in the sense that a music taste maker is an interesting character <laughs> in and of their own uh, own right, but they, they're a fairly good barometer as a cultural taste maker. So what we're now looking at is, well, how even though the, the I guess the community itself is um, – it's not in the, the millions, but it's super niche. And so what we're looking at going, well, what sort of signals over and above finding the latest cool track from this crew, what, what else are they seeing and what, what could we read into that? So that's where we're sort of thinking and, and going with it. I forget the actual question that you asked. Oh, me. no, I was just saying like how, like, oh, how, how do you more? sort of nurture, how do you find them? How do you nurture that community? Is it is it sort of... Is it just word of mouth or like do you go out and target certain people? Um, we co-founded that with a, a I guess I'd call him a celebrity music supervisor or a guy by the name of Scott Venner. Mm-hmm. And for anybody that was in this sort of niche world, Scott is, yeah, is a, is a bit of a, a rock star. He... Um, He's done the music supervision for a lot of various Hollywood hits, but I guess the thing that broke, made made his name was um, Entourage, oh, and cool. and putting all the soundtracks to Entourage, and so which became got its own cult following. So, Entourage always had great music. I remember that it was always like a big thing. I think um, who's the Australian band? Tame Impala had their stuff on Entourage. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they actually like name dropped them in it. I think <laughs> it's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, well, and Scott's look, he's he's awesome. He's also crazy, uh, <laughs> um, and he yeah. So he uh, that's what kickstarted it was that I guess he just he just put the word out, and a whole bunch of people. I guess he's getting pitched every day to try either by bands trying to you know get onto Entourage or the latest movie he's working on, or um, he's got a bit of a a rock star job. He gets to hang out with. Hollywood, who's heard of, of Hollywood and um, and choose, listen to music for a living and then place music on <laughs> movies. Like yeah. it's uh, as as jobs go, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty awesome. cool. So 
<laughs> yeah, so I guess the, the initial community was formed by probably people that wanted Scott's job and wanted to show him how good their taste in music is. And then it went from there, uh, like the community. And, and, and we've had a lot of, I guess, a good part of our the last decade for us has been working with various social networks on, on different sizes. And so, like, that has how communities work and online communities work and trust and uh, reward and that sort of true network effect is fascinating to us at a theoretical level and, and then how it permeates out into, yeah, out into products and content and, and strategies. Um, so, yeah, this undertone has been a really good one um, I, that, that isn't, I guess I'm from the outside isn't seen as a success, but as we owe a lot to our our sort of learning through the years, and and then probably to bring it to like closer to home, yeah, we've got to work with some of what I'd say some of the I deem most interesting technology startup companies and scale up companies in Brisbane, and we yeah we I guess a big one that we're really proud of is ClipChamp, which is a, yeah, in-browser video editing platform. We've got a deep relationship with ClipChamp, but essentially the story goes that they they had a product, had some really cool IP, technology IP around their video compression, but it hadn't quite reached product market fit. And they had this idea that they could take that technology from just video compression and move into a wider, I guess, the wider video editing workflow. And so pitched a very rough pitch to us. And we at the time had just observed as a studio, like the whole design team moved from the Photoshop, like Adobe Suite to Sketch and then to Figma. In, in like a matter of literally days, uh, this well, sorry, we we're using Sketch for probably a year, but then Sketch to Figma, and so this for I guess those listening at home that don't know design programs, hopefully you're familiar with Adobe Photoshop, the industry standard for the last couple of decades. Sketch was I guess a was limited feature set, but uh, an in-browser version um, of a few of the different Adobe programs, which made it more lightweight and more practical for UX and uh, UI product design. And then Figma came along and Figma essentially was also in-browser but took the advantages of being in-browser and made the ability to be collaborative while you're in a design program. So they fundamentally, they, they were the, each time they had less features than their predecessor, but that significance of ability to change the workflow meant that we had a, a whole studio shift overnight. And so... We, I guess that was the, an observation that we made in the industry and then, and then ClipChamp, yeah, the founding crew and ClipChamp walked in our door and they were like, hey, we, we think we can do this and we can do in-browser video editing. We're like, okay, let's, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm looking at it now. Is it kind of like, would it kind of be like Canva for video? Yep, yep. 
that's a that's a that's a that's a very um and there's a backstory there as well. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but the, the long and the short of it is, we were fortunate enough to, yeah, to join forces with Clip Champ. We put out this new vision, like so. We painted this this vision of the future. We we both went to market when I said like to the investment market together and raised the required investment capital to essentially pay for our respective teams to do the work to bring that version, that vision to life and, and to bring it to market. And, yeah, and that, that we brought that to market uh, that, you know, give or take was about a 12-month exercise. So like a heavy commitment from all parties to do that. But that comes back to that aligned relationship we spoke about earlier, the, the fact that, yeah, we, well, you're in partnership. You're making calls. It's a really efficient dialogue, and and it's all with the right intentions. And so we launched, and um, that was that's about eighteen months ago now. And and then secured a um, yeah further funding and and a Series A, which yeah was out of a really uh, I guess notable uh, VC out of Seattle and. The beauty about, I guess, that and that, and the, the, I guess, the value of the company is nice to reflect on the tangible investment that you're making as a benchmark. So, yeah, we were able. I, I probably can't talk. Well, I won't speak specific figures, but <laughs> we we're able to take it from a, um, I guess, a seed stage company through to a very advanced, well-funded Series A. Uh, valuation with really good terms. Um, at the same time, that we've yeah we've got like a now a product in market that has got um, a really good product market fit and growing uh, exceptionally well month on month and producing good revenue and and scalable revenue. So um, yeah, that's a, I guess a more a, a slightly different. That's a that's a partnership scale up uh, venture that we embarked on. Whereas some of the other ones are the incubated ventures, which are when we sort of see an opportunity and then we'll we'll grow it from the ground up. Yeah. And so, Ben, what do you think it takes for startups to reach that next level? So, for example, I guess the scale-up stage. <laughs> Actual, it's cliche, but like, like uh, legitimate product market fit. Yeah. Or, and or a very good understanding of your user and the ability to have a, I guess, a sophistication in your marketing ecosystem to be able to to understand the metrics and the nuance around the details of what your the return of in, return on investment of your marketing spend. Yeah. So they're the two, they're the two things. And what advice would you give to founders out there looking to build a digital product? Well, coming back to the start, I think having the right balance of naive optimism you have to have with like being a founder and understanding what type of business that you you are creating. So is it a highly speculative tech business or is it more of a, you know, a standard business model that might exist traditionally that you're you're taking online? Both are totally relevant. But sort of having a, a good understanding of what your business model is and knowing that those two journeys and the myriad of, of journeys in between that are going to be very different. Um, 
and I and I think that you know it's 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 cliche but very very real is fucking believing in what you like loving what you what you're working on and that, that sort of passion and and I think that a really good example of that for anybody that knows or has seen like Michael Fox he's most well known for being the CEO of Shoes of Prey which is been you know was was the darling child of like Australian startup scene for the last decade and had a pretty amazing fall from grace and closed their doors last year due to a number whole number of reasons but Michael's a good friend and yeah I guess after he sort of got up and licked his wounds the biggest reflection is like shoes of prey was customized female shoes you go on online you could you know put your purple crocodile skin with your diamantes if you wanted and they'd ship them to you and and Michael was he was passionate about it but he what he was like I'm not you know like it was still female shoes at the end of the day so his latest starter or he's sort of he's called Fable Foods and he's been a vegetarian or vegan for a number of years and so Fable Fable Foods is a, a meat alternative food company and they yeah he, he's he, it's they're going gangbusters they've they've had investment from blackbird which is a, a testament to michael and blackbird blackbird were one of the major investors in shoes of prey and so you know, after losing a lot of their investment or losing their investment on the first uh, round first company they came back for round two so yeah massive testament to michael but I guess more importantly, he just talks about that passion of he is passionate about helping people and and including himself um, as vegans eat well with diversity and and a range of food and you can sort of see that in the product and what he's doing. Do you see that as a as a common thing perhaps with investing is that, yes, you're investing in the idea but you're also investing in the team behind it? Or do you guys sort of see it like if the idea is great, you can fill the spots in the team? I mean, I guess with your venture venture side, you could. Yeah. Look, it, well, first off, we yeah, strict no dickheads policy. <laughs> um, I don't mind if you're if you know you're actually sometimes prefer like if you're you're, you're socially awkward and you, you struggle to to um, you know string a sentence together. That's fine. Um, like, but if you're an asshole, (laughs) (laughs) I don't give a shit how smart you are or or how your idea is, then it's, it's just, yeah, that that's where you don't pass go. And yeah, there has to be, there definitely has to be a, a, a value at a certain point. There has to be a values alignment. Like each one of these journeys is going like, it's very rare that there's just this straight moonshot success story that you're going to have tough times and you just want to have that trust in the relationship to be able to have courageous conversations when they, they come. And if you second guessing someone, so it's not, I don't give a shit if you know, well, I probably won't like, I don't, I'm not going to sit there and grill you on your political standing, but unless we can have, yeah, a very much an eye to eye conversation around those critical decisions when they come up in the company's life, then that's the, 
that that sort of goes along with that sort of no dickheads policy. That's the next level of it. Um, as for the team, yeah, it's it's not so much of a problem as you said for us. Like we we it definitely if you're doing a high tech product, you need to know your shit. Um, but a lot of the time, we are augmenting people that don't have any technology background but have a lot of domain experience in their particular field, and that we are building the whole tech team behind them. So um, I guess a little bit more on the Venture Studio model is that we will we'll, we'll build typically with our existing team the zero to one, like that sort of get it to market, get an MVP out there, get, get that sort of uh, market proof. And then typically the company will go into its next stage of growth and at that point we'll start building out the, a dedicated operational team and quite often we'll do that um, even if they're a technology business, we'll do that recruitment and that placement and that I, I, that organisational uh, rhythm. We call it um, what 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 platforms, what type of uh, yeah, what what is your what are your sprints? What are the that, all of those sort of factors that that I guess are the underpinning foundations to a culture? We'll try to embed that in the companies, do that recruitment, and then that means that. Yeah, we and and then we continue to augment with, I guess, certain roles um, that might not need to be full time operational in those particular companies. Well, I, I guess it's a way of us also safeguarding our investment at the end of the day. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so it comes back to that alignment piece. People often are like, "Well, how?" Yeah, that you know, you're sort of recruiting good people, and you could be seen as you're giving them away. But it's like the totally other way around. It's like, well, no, that's that means that 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 venture has got a higher chance of success. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely. But a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a shift from where we're talking about. How do you tell someone their idea sucks, or does it just not get through to you? You know, you've you said you guys get pitched ideas all the time, and there's a there's a proven process. Is it almost a case of it wouldn't get through? It wouldn't get past that initial stage. Yeah, look, like a, a fair few um, will be evaluated before it comes to any sort of like committee decision. Yeah. Um, look, it's a hard one and I'm probably the, 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 the person um, out of the group that it, I always see the I'm, – I'm the optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> always. Uh, and, and so there's definitely people that, are, that wear the black hat and um, uh, have more sort of pessimism, yeah. um, which is good. It's a healthy balance yeah. that you, you want to have. But, yeah, like typically, um, yeah, like if, if an idea – it's very rare someone would, will have an idea that, and, and there's nothing to be salvaged. So yeah. they'll, 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 they, they, now in saying that, sometimes it's there, yeah, they are trying to recreate Facebook or, or something <laughs> like they're, they're so, like they're just not connected with what's going on. Yeah. But a lot of the time, they'll either have a domain inside or they'll have a, a certain angle and experience that is leading them to, I guess, bring the idea forth. And when we see them, they're usually fairly, you know, they've either made some sort of investment. Uh, a lot of the time we'll, we'll have companies that have, yeah, that have either started the journey like using, say, outsourced developers or like another team or they, they haven't 
or their own team or whatever and they haven't found product market fit or they have had a breakdown in, in their current arrangement. So we'll sort of come in and do an assessment there. Um, and, yeah, that's generally when you might say, oh, look, we just don't think that your idea is viable. But for the most part, there will be something in the insight and, yeah, our first stage of any process we refer to as the recon process and there's different variants of the recon process. But that recon process's job is to do a like a really rapid deep dive into, I guess, all of the core, core facets of that opportunity. So like from, I guess, the business case and, and, the, and the market opportunity through to the, um, yeah, like personas through to like a minimum viable brands and like a vision and, and like really sort of build this package. And part of that process, we will often uh, put together a, a, a lightweight version of the proposition and we'll, we'll then go through a, a, a demand testing process, which, uh, yeah, it gives us, uh, both a qualitative and then also a quantitative sort of feedback on the concept. And that, I guess, helps inform obviously our, our decision making, uh, and whether we're going to go to the next level beyond a, a recon or not. Yeah, cool. I'd love to know about that demand testing phase of, because it was one of my questions that I had was like, what's some fast ways people can validate an idea or a concept? What does that demand testing look like? Yeah. So, it's very slightly depending on the opportunity. So whether, and, and whether it's a B2B or a B2C or like where, like what type of feedback you're looking for and, and how mature the, the opportunity is. But for like, as a general example, we'll capture the proposition and we'll, so we'll either try do it in a, um, what we call like an MVB. So yeah, minimum viable brand. So you're just sort of, slap dash something together you'll you'll get like a, a bit of a tagline for the proposition like you try to encapsulate it you put some really basic graphics around it and you might then have an assumed um audience so i don't know young mums for instance and then we'll do a little bit of paid marketing and just uh, to that target audience and just get a get a feeling and a feedback of the of the response and then we've got certain benchmarks and that can give us a, an idea through to we might yeah we might do it like a two video piece of with the founder like outlining their proposition so a sort of 60 second uh outline and then drive uh traffic to a landing page that might have a few more questions in it and and do um do testing that way so through to then flesh out the proposition a little bit more if it's a B2B opportunity and, and get on the phone or, or go and sort of see uh, our assumed target audience and um, or clients and pitch them and see what type of uh, feedback. So it's it's all very, oh, I was going to say rudimentary. It's not quite, not necessarily rudimentary, but it allows us in very quick succession to get real life feedback and and then iterate off that feedback and so we'll we might do that three or four times through a recon process if we think that there's you know something there but we want to keep on refining it and it just means that yeah it's our well the rigor around our investment decision when we then do decide okay we're going to lean in on this or when we are 
going out to investors and asking them to put money into uh, investing into something or or whether it's the client that is going to, you know, take their hard-earned money and, and back their idea. We can sit there as partners in the exercise and give them a fairly good confidence <laughs> around making that next investment um, and that's when you start. And most of the time, that's when you start to spend real money, like when you obviously start engaging development teams and going into that. And um, like, is there a number, is there a magic number or anything like depending on the thing, like say you get, say you, you know, you do one of these exercises, you have a landing page and you have people go out and fill out, maybe ask for more information. Like, is there a tipping point of numbers? You know, you get to a hundred or you get to 150 and you're like, shit, yeah, I think we've got something here. Or is it a case by case basis? Is it is is it sort of the strength of engagement or the, like the level of engagement? Like, are there any, yeah, are there any metrics or numbers that you look for? Uh, we, you're asking all the secrets. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if there are secrets. <laughs> uh, so everyone is, is slightly different. So we go through an exercise at the very beginning and we ask ourselves, usually it's a, a, a blind request of the key, key sort of team. Yeah. What are the numbers like that we want to see? Like, and what are the types of responses that we that we want to see? So, you, so we so you sort of lean on everybody's expertise and instinct to almost set the the, the goalposts, and then we come together and we sort of you know, <laughs> look triage the results, and that becomes like our sort of internal benchmark that we try to work towards. Now, that's not a like a binary thing, but it it gives you a good. Yeah, it's a good litmus test of what we feel should be the result for us to move forward. Now, there is so many things that can happen in that process and quite often what happens, well, it's all the unknown things that come along that, yeah, that inform critical decisions moving forward. So that quite often you'll, well, it's not uncommon to have a, a dramatic pivot through the recon process or like we, yeah, a lot of the time you'll be going through that process and you'll, um, one of the future stages will be going and, and, and speaking to investors. So um, we, they become a client and a stakeholder audience in the whole um, venture journey. So we'll sometimes try to go and, and speak to investors, get them, their buy-in, they're obviously, if, if they're a seasoned tech investor, then they see a lot as well, so they can give really good feedback. We're, we're also very conscious of their, 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 their time and it's, it's, it's valuable. So you want it to, that's generally later in the, the uh, process that you, you're getting that type of feedback. Um, <clears throat> but you're bringing them on the journey as well. And, um, yeah, so, so it, it's, it's also not uncommon that, either a client or an investor that sees an opportunity at a recon stage will convert into being an actual investor at the right time. So, yeah, especially if it's a client, then that's obviously a massive tick. (laughs) It all boils back down to, yeah, efficiently and effectively building new ventures. And so at the end of the day, 
the other difference between a venture studio and a typical design studio is like we spoke about, like the beauty about the, the traditional design studio is you do a good job, you make a beautiful you know, yeah, output for the client, they're stoked, like that's that's job well, hopefully you made some money, that's job well done. Like you go home at night and you can whatever, watch Netflix. Like in venturing, you're <laughs> the ownership we spoke about all the upsides but it's also like you're fucking thinking about these <laughs> things all the time you're always problem solving that the outcome is not it, it, I don't like it's yes you want your, your obviously your partner your venture partner uh, the founder to be to be happy and stoked in the relationship to be good but also you're putting yourself on the line every single time because the result is the tangible result within the company. So it, it, that really hones, I, I sort of spoke to that sort of, well, yeah, going back to the efficiency and effectiveness, it's embedded in it because I don't, you can go through, a, you know, brand, like you can go through the, the most extravagant, lengthy, well-rehearsed branding process possible, but like at the end of the day, unless it makes like the tangible difference in the actual business itself, then that's where you're leading to. So you actually find yourself, yeah, like refining <laughs> your process and and in some ways um, and like becoming hacky. So I, I spoke to the MVB. So like um, as an agency, we really, yeah, we believe in quality. That's one of our values and and that is actually in direct conflict with a lot of the venture process. But, yeah, you have to look at quality in a different way. Like it's not quality as in like, hey, I'm, you know, my my iPhone onboarding experience. It's quality in terms of the venture and the, the success of that venture, which sometimes means that you're actually doing hacking, you're putting things out into the world that under no other circumstance you'd ever have your name associated with, but you know that that's the, that's the best, most effective way to get to them the quality outcome being the success of that company. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it, it makes you guys be very deliberate with the work you do because you want to make sure that any, any time spent is going towards that next stage and getting, like, get, I guess, advancing the project. So you're not creating stuff because it's, you know, it's the nice to haves, it's the nice fluffy brand stuff or, you know, the, the big long brand Bible that no one's going to read for a few years until you get a, a lot of people working there. You, you focus more on stuff that's going to deliver sort of tangible benefits. Totally, totally. And that's hard for a lot of people. Like, you know. <laughs> well, all the, all the other stuff's fun. It's nice. It's nice to look at and it's like it's the warm stuff. But, but yeah, and it would, be, it would be probably a direct contrast with, I guess, some of the projects you do where, where there is, you know, a, a business, you know, with experience and, and you know, a, a longer track record and they need the extra things. Yeah, and it is, I think, yeah, you're right. Like it is a good thing to know. Like we do, we do do some, like the majority of the projects that we do these days are venture related in the, across the board or in the studio and the, and the agency. But the, like we'll, we also do large scale branding projects. We just, one of our clients is X Prize out of the States. And yeah, that's like, that's a, that's a massive brand. And we've just completed the first phase of a rebrand. And yeah, and we're now going through, through the, the, the rollout. And it's, um, 
it's interesting. <laughs> it's it's interesting, and it, it it is to be honest. It's 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 definitely as an organization, like we know that we bring. Um, well, well, they tell us like X Prize is a very entrepreneurial, you know, big thinking sort of organization. So they love the fact that we do venturing. That's part of the appeal to us doing this branding exercise rather than a than a I guess an alternative branding group, but. Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, for the, for the team, it's a, it's a different pace and it's, um, it's good. I think, yeah, they, they do like it because the venture stuff does, yeah, it's always on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) how do you get new projects? Well, slowly losing my boyish good looks. So, (laughs) um, (laughs) resort to other means. No, the, um, We've got a certain reputation. I think most of that's good. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. So, so we we um, yeah, in sort of yeah, we sort of we have a, definitely a reputation with um, like with technology companies that that are yeah that are looking like for a holistic partner if they're in that sort of scale up phase, um, a holistic design partner that understands venturing and understands the nuances of like the business and the phases through to, yeah, we just have a number of different parties and partners that we've worked on, um, especially in the States or worked with that we do a lot of work with. We, that, yeah, that are both, I guess, amplifying our reach into certain circles, but also doing that ever so crucial selection of what sort of suits us. So we, yeah, we just, we have a, a number of different parties and partners that we do a lot of good work with, I think, I guess is the, the concise answer. <laughs> um, and, and we're also on the venture studio front. We, we do see this as an emerging model, as I mentioned before, that will, um, I think only become more popular as it's understood more but I think it well I know it's a very compelling proposition whether it's for the a practitioner like someone working within a venture studio context or an investor with the potential ROI that they can produce and the value that they can create so yeah we're really doubling down on on that front in the sense of championing like this model and trying to help other studios launch and being very collaborative in that approach and partnering with other domain partners to launch other domain specific venture studios. Um, and so we, yeah, we, our vision is to, to be part of a network of venture studios and the beauty about I guess that business model compared to a, a standard agency model is that agency, yeah, you you are like you know you've got your peers and you can be all friendly, but at the end of the day, you you're also at some point going to be competitors, and so you've always got that interesting relationship. Whereas when you're in a venture studio context and you're just building new shit, then everybody is actually a collaborator. Yeah, so that's also that's also a nice part of it. So. That's a very long-winded answer to your question. No, that's good. Ben, I'm conscious of your time. I mean, thank you so much for for spending so much time with us today. I wanted to ask you a few personal questions to wrap up. So um, 
In 2011, you co-founded a Brisbane bar, The End, in West End. Had it always been a long-time dream to own a bar? Uh, yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, it was always a dream. We used to, we occupied a building up on Petrie Terrace in Brisbane, um, yeah, like which was called Substation 4, which is yeah, a beautiful yeah. building. Yeah, I've been there. It's um, amazing. Yeah, and we, we sort of, I swear for a number of years we had more of a reputation for throwing good parties than doing good <laughs> design work. But, like, it, uh, it was a shit ton of fun. And, yeah, I, 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 don't know, I got the harebrained idea that, like, let's put a, let's put a bar in, 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 the, in the studio. Um, <laughs> anyway, like, someone spoke some, some sense into me, or well, the team did, and, and so we put that idea on ice and then uh, a good friend um yeah found a space in west end and suggested hey do we do we want to do it and so yeah the end is like was the second boutique liquor license granted uh in brisbane and yeah it's been it's been a beautiful thing ever since like it's it's a great little bar it's definitely been the result of more than a few hangovers for a lot of people, um, <laughs> which is a good KPI, uh, and a nice like and a nice business. Yeah, it's cool. We, I guess we we set off on that journey to thinking that we were going to build a hospitality business, and we we launched another bar, the Jungle, um, and uh, and and had big visions, and then. I guess realize that it's it is a very hard business. <laughs> Hospitality is a very hard business, and at the same time, uh, I guess our some of our digital ventures were um, yeah, going from strength to strength, and we were sort of starting to see the beauty in 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 digital ventures being the the sort of scalability and uh, the exponential nature of them. And so decided to tone down the, the hospitality career and focus on the digital investments. Yeah. Yeah, just just <laughs> I think I think that's a pretty smart move. Uh, <laughs> based on I mean based on uh, what we've gone through in the last few months, I mean, geez, it would be um yeah, it's a be a challenging one to be in hospitality right now. Very much so. Very much so. Mate, and what do you do outside of work for an escape? Oh, well, I've got a a, uh, a little one. So uh, she's coming on three years old, Florence, and so that takes up a fair bit of time <laughs> uh, chasing her around, which is which is awesome. But yeah, we are. I think I mentioned before we've we we just I, I grew up in the country and I guess, yeah, been fortunate enough for yeah, the, the whole, well, for the good part of Joseph Marks and my career, um, spent a lot of time traveling and yeah, experiencing different places in the world. But I, uh, yeah, I sort of had a yearning to get my hands dirty and just to just literally get grounded. So we bought this farm up in the Sunshine Coast, uh, yeah, a while ago, and and that's 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 become like the hobby slash. Uh, it, it wasn't meant to be an enterprise in its own right, but it has become an enterprise itself. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just good fun. So, like, I'll often be found out on the on the tractor, you know, mowing <laughs> the back paddock, or or fixing a fence post, or you know, cutting a cutting a log, and that's just my 
total zone out of the whole digital world and I um, yeah, probably do some of my my best thinking <laughs> then to be honest as well. That's awesome. Is that something is that something that you find yourself doing not being out on the tractor necessarily but um but it seems to me like there's a trend or a, a common theme of scaling a business like you've got an idea and it's almost like is that is there something in you that's like it's not never settling for like the idea of like it's you know maybe it's a family farm and then it's like hey maybe this could be something a little bit more or like is that is that you or is it someone around you know is it your partner or something like that that sort of sees the new opportunities in that well my partner jess uh <laughs> who is also i guess heavily involved in joseph mark's story like she was the first employee so we've we've got a very interesting uh relationship that's um, that can be definitely crazy at times. And she would say, <laughs> she'd probably answer that question with, it's very much me. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's not so much something where I look at, where it's about looking at it and seeing if we can scale and, and not even seeing if it's a business opportunity, to be honest. Like, I'm a very reluctant capitalist. Like, I don't, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't, and we don't, as weird as it sounds, and all of this investment chat, like we we have a healthy respect for capital and that and believe that capital is just another form of energy, and that, and and that's a that's a fundamental piece of society and and can, yeah, I, I guess so so, but, um, yeah, the the like why we do business and why we're in business is has to be satisfying in other ways than just the fiscal output. Like it, it just, yeah. And, and we realized that I guess some part through the journey. And so, yeah, to answer your question, we're sort of free spirited designers. Like yeah. we love to, we, we see things, we love to create our businesses are, are almost just extensions of that like like we like beautiful businesses and i guess throughout this whole whole conversation that's that's probably the 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 other theme is that like whether it's how it's like internally set up and the the motivations and the mechanisms of the team through to what it what what the business card looks like what does the identity look like like it's all sort of part and parcel of 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 just a creation and it just happens that it, a lot of them are businesses or you, these constructs that we call businesses, but they're just, yeah, they're, they're creative outputs. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably the motivation and what keeps us inquiring yeah, and, yeah. and built. Yeah. yeah. Ben, do you have any favorite books? Look, I, I mentioned it earlier on in the piece, Let My People Go Surfing is just still stands the test of time um, for anybody that, uh, cares about people or into <laughs> uh, yeah uh, into teams <laughs> is it's just fundamentally um, yeah it's 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 an awesome read so yeah I'll put I'll, I'll, I'll link I'll that. that one up yeah cool and Matt in closing uh, who's someone remarkable that you know that we should speak to <laughs> oh, a lot of remarkable people. I'm going to say there's a um, 
for an interesting perspective, uh, a guy by the name of Ben Lightfoot, yep. who is full disclosure is a partner mm-hmm. of um, ours in a new business, but he's got a very interesting background. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, Matt, what's your favorite quote or the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Best piece of advice I've ever been given is from my my dad and it was the only, well, the only rule that he ever gave us as children and it was do what you want, don't hurt anybody. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Which, yeah, I think it's definitely um, we got to live that growing up and you know, I was fortunate enough to have two parents that were very open-minded artists and yeah, it taught me a few things. They taught me that I didn't want to be an artist, <laughs> <laughs> but also, yeah, I guess we, what we do, a lot of people would see is fairly risky. Like we, we do spend a lot of time in the unknown and yeah. And that's what I guess being, being an, a creative or an artist, you, you, you're putting your, yeah, your, yourself on the line when you, when you do, that type of work and and put yourself out there, but also the reality was that yeah we we had a had a very modest upbringing and and was totally cool with when we had to eat baked beans for dinner as a family like that was just like you know time for not spending so my sort of my relationship with money and the, the and what I guess that that level of security was formed by those types of, uh, yeah, early years. So, yeah, I'm very grateful for that and um, it's helped, yeah, help, help, helped, helped along the, the, this crazy journey, <laughs> that's yeah. for sure. And finally, Ben, where can people learn more about you? If you want to know my political position, follow me on Twitter, which is design the world with an underscore a little bit uh, well you'll get a little bit about joseph mark obviously on the website um josephmark.com.au and also josephmark.ventures and then if you want to know what we're interested in or what inspires us just from a creative standpoint go to designoftheworld.com we'll be sure to link all of those awesome Mate, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. It's been awesome. Uh, Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of DSR Branding Presents. To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit dsrb.com.au slash podcast. Hit subscribe on your podcast app and stay up to date with all the latest episodes. If you're listening on an Apple podcast, can I ask you a quick favor, please? I'd love a five-star review. It not only makes me feel special, but it helps other people like you find this podcast. We always appreciate good feedback. So if you enjoyed it, please share it with your network and tag me on LinkedIn or Instagram or send me an email. DSR Branding exists to inspire people to love what their work represents. I hope this episode has inspired you to think differently.